This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Middlestat splitting the defense in on goal. He scores. Casey Middlestat driving the center lane beats Demko club side. And the Sabres have a 1-0 lead. The right wing for Connor Garland. Right wing to the Sabres zone for Miller. Driving through the middle. Goes to the goal. He scores. Well, that went in. Puck went in. It wasn't signaled in. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. There's a chance they score. Jeff Skinner in front of the net. Found a loose puck and tucked it in under the crossbar past Demko. The Sabres retake the lead. It spins back to the wall under pressure from Tuck. Then passes into the slot for Horvath. He scores. Tuck drops right wing for Darlene. Makes a move into the slot. Shoots. He scores. Rasmus Darlene. Just 48 seconds into overtime. And the Sabres beat the Canucks 3-2. On the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Another crushing loss for the Vancouver Canucks, this time in overtime against the Buffalo Sabres and those playoff hopes dwindling in a hurry. Picked up a point, but probably not enough in the big picture. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio will bring in Corey Hirsch into the conversation momentarily. Our feedback channels are open, 604 280 0650 or toll free 888 275 0650. Also hit us up on our Dunbar Lumber Text inbox 650 650. I know a big topic of conversation will be the trade deadline, which is looming less than 24 hours away, uh, just about 15 hours away actually. So we'll see what else kind of unfolds. But as far as this game goes, Hershey, it was another must have game for the Canucks. And yeah, the battle back after being down 1 0 in the first, another poor start by the team. They were able to get a point, but big picture, one point out of this weekend when they needed four, that's a far cry from what was necessary. Yeah, and, and overall, what did you say they needed out of the – they needed at least ten of the they 14. They needed ten. They got, they got six. They got six, yeah. So in their record in the last – it's not boding well considering they're going into Colorado. You know, they got to go into Vegas still. They got to yeah. go into Minnesota. They still got to go into Dallas. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not looking good, Sat. But until it's done, you know, you, until you're mathematically eliminated, I'm more interested to see what happens to the deadline tomorrow because I'm actually in a way glad this homestead worked out the way it did in a sense because now it gives the organization, I believe, a strong and clear direction that you need to move guys to become a better team. And who that is, I, I don't know. I have a lot of faith in Rutherford. I have a lot of faith in this group. I'm mm-hmm. excited for this group. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they can get it done. I, th- I think that something will happen tomorrow. I, th- I, my personal opinion, intuition is, is that it, it's going to be a bigger day for the Canucks than we all think. But again, I don't have any inside knowledge. I just think that that's the way the Eastern Conference is setting up right now for me. Those teams are going to be fighting each other tomorrow for players. And like I said, there's seven, seven of the eight teams that are going to get in are good, good hockey teams. And coaches and GMs get fired when you lose out in the first round if you got a good hockey team. So um, that's going to create, I think, chaos in the East. We've already seen it. Claude Giroux for a former first-rounder, a first-rounder, a third, and a third-rounder. A 34-year-old aging centerman on a reti- on an expiring contract. Like, you know, what is a guy like JT Miller? What's he going to fetch out East? You'd, yeah. Right? If, if that's what it comes. Maybe they don't want to get rid of him. But, I mean, if you can get that for Claude Giroux I mean I, I might even have been tempted to take that for like Brock Besser or or somebody good on you know right another first rounder uh former first rounder and then something else like if 
but it's it's going to be interesting, man, tomorrow. It will be. It's um, This homestand needed to be a lot better. Period. Yeah. End of story. Right? Oh, yeah. You get one out of a possible four points against Detroit and Buffalo. That's not good enough if you're going to be a playoff team, if you aspire to be a playoff team. The games against Calgary and Tampa Bay were probably the most indicative for me because you knew those teams, cup contending teams, were coming in off of losses, playing on the second half of a back-to-back, and they were going to throw you their best punch in the first ten minutes, and you had no answer for them in either of those games. And then they show up tonight and do the same thing in the first five minutes. It's the Buffalo Sabres. I mean, come on. Like, I know Buffalo's been playing better lately, but that's inexcusable. You can't play like that and expect to be a hopeful playoff team if they're if they're going to continue that. But reach inside, I'll ask you this. I watch the games. I watch them against Tampa. I watch them against Calgary. They're not at that level. No, right? they're not. So when you compare teams, they are Buffalo. They are at Buffalo. If without Thatcher Demko this year, they are Buffalo. Buffalo's got, what, 50 points? Yeah. So if you don't have Thatcher Demko, uh, Canucks are, what, 67, 68 points right now? Yeah. Thatcher Demko has stolen eight games or nine himself. Yeah. Like, stolen them. Well, subtract the points, you're Buffalo. Yeah. So, to me, but that's not a, a horrible thing. But what it does do for me is it gives the organization direction for what to do at this trade deadline and moving forward. Because Buffalo's got some pretty good players, too. Yeah. You know, the, uh, Darlene's a pretty damn good player. Tate Thompson's a pretty damn good player. The Krebs kid. He's going to be a player. I mean, yeah. the reality is, yeah. like, every team in the league's got some good players, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, you know, but, How do you build from there, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, we know the Canucks have a, a decent roster. They've got some really good players. But as I was saying to Sad in the second intermission, you know, too often it's JT Miller putting the team on yeah. his back. You know, where's Horvat more often? Uh, where's Pedersen more often? Where's Besser more often? I mean, it's just been too many nights this year where the team is relying on JT Miller to create something for them offensively to have them win a hockey game or get points. And, you know, that's where they're at right now in that, you know, we realize there's some pieces here, but it's not the right mix. They're not going to get everything done tomorrow, but uh, there's a a clear and obvious direction to get younger, faster, and certainly more efficient with how they're spending their cap dollars. Yeah, and, and you guys have been around the game long enough, too. Does Brock Besser not look like a guy that's waiting to possibly get traded? He might like, be waiting for the deadline to, to me, pass. To me, it's just like, you almost like, yeah, it's not even, it's not, yeah, it's, and and this is just, again, my opinion, and I, I like Brock, and I think he's a, he's a great person and a great player, but I think you get into that where you start to wonder if it's really going to happen, and, and it, it affects your game, and it's, if you are pretty know that it's imminent, if you do know something, and again, for people listening out there, I'm not saying he does because I don't know for sure, but I just know body language sometimes. Well, why are you yeah. gonna why are you pouring your heart out for a team you're leaving in five days? You know, you always do as a professional, but it it makes it difficult. And I look at Brock Besser like he looks like a guy that might be ready to go. Well, I think so, I I wouldn't be surprised that Besser is is obviously. I, I, I can't get in his head, but is bothered to some degree oh, I'll by. Get in your head, though, yeah, you know, I know you. I, I know it's going to happen. It always does. But you, you know, he. I do believe it has been weighing on him some yeah. of these trade rumors. But I, I guess we'll see what happens tomorrow. Anything can happen, right? None of us really know. And one thing has become very clear: 
that nobody can really predict what this front office is going to do as far as the moves go. And we talked about this a lot, actually, and said, hey, as much as we talk about the regulars, how likely is it that the first trade that happens is something we don't quite expect? And we saw that tonight. It was Travis Hamanick that was traded today, right? He was the yeah. guy that people didn't see coming. So we'll see ultimately what happens. But based on what Alvin himself, himself said today, that they still have time to figure out a contract and where they stand with Brock Besser up until the draft. I'm not sure he's the guy that goes at the deadline. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know for sure either. I, I just – depends on what you get, right? Like, they, they – I mean, Rutherford pretty much went and said, like, Demko's the only guy that's untouchable. I yeah. mean, he really you – know, without – in so many words, he said yeah. – I remember when he said, well, we've got a franchise goalie. And, and Hughes. Was, he mentioned him. The two Hughes guys he mentioned yeah. was Demko and Hughes. Yeah. So, yeah. Though, I mean, other than that, everybody – so it depends on what you can get in return. And, you know, like, let's say, for example – they throw Patterson's name out there. Some team calls on Patterson. Well, you know, you're probably going to ask for a ridiculous number or return. Yeah. So you're probably it's probably not going to happen. But hey, someone might give it to you. Yeah. You don't ask, you don't get. Right. Yeah. Well, it's just I, you know, I, I, given what has been paid for rental players this year, like any of the Canucks top end guys, you know, th- this this whole idea that somebody's going to come with a huge offer. Like, if the prices that are going for rentals right now is the offer for most of these guys, you know, yeah. what would it be for a guy with extra control on top of that? You yeah. know, it's gonna it would have to be a massive, massive price. And that's why it's always been about are you getting that premium to make it worth moving off of yeah. one of those players. You're right, Hershey. I mean, there's an arms race going on in the Eastern Conference right now, but – is there anybody on this roster outside of JT Miller that somebody might say, like, I have to go get yeah. that guy for this well, year? And you're exactly that's a, you're exactly right with what you're saying is is that um, when you're when you're trading for a player at the deadline, if you're a buyer, yeah, you want someone that's going to make a difference in your playoff run. You want yeah. somebody that's going to put you over the edge. And the only guy that Canucks have that'll do that that is almost guaranteed to do that would be a JT Miller. Like yeah. you could get Patterson, but he's young, right? You, yeah. You're not, you don't know if he's going to be able to put you over the edge in a playoff race. When he's going, he, he yeah. can do that, but he hasn't been going often enough this year. But, yeah. And, and so you're, you're exactly right set. So the only guy for me that teams would probably be calling, and then teams would be adding depth guys. Well, and that's the thing I, I know, believe, that's, but I, that's another, that's, that's a whole different yeah, story. That's probably yeah. where tomorrow lines up. I'm with you there, Dan. I mean, Hey, we'll see what happens. Right. And, and like you said, Hershey, there could, they could make something big happen. It could be exciting, and it could be a fun Wait, day. Hold up, though. I'll throw this out at you. Would you guys move Bo Horvat? I mean, in the right deal, why not? I'm not against moving anybody on this roster outside of two or three guys, which we talked about, if right? If I'm a team, I would I would take a serious pitch at Bo Horvat if I was running for a playoff spot. You know, because he has a year on his contract, the Canucks would want a lot, and I wonder if a team is willing to go that far. Right, yeah. right now, and maybe they do. But you saw Chikrin, for instance, a different player, and probably yeah. higher ask. They have such a high ask that teams aren't willing to meet that right now. Does that yep. change as time goes on? And well, that's I mean, the same Brandon Hagel for two first-rounders, like, that's your starting point right. for any of, you know, if, yeah. if you're talking about a big player on the Canucks. That, that would have to be a starting point. But I would say tomorrow the more likely thing that happens, or the most likely thing that happens, is around the edges. Maybe Mott. You have to make a decision on yeah. him. One of the defensemen, depth defensemen, another depth defenseman. Or, you know, you look at Hunt. You look at Burroughs. You look at Shen. You look at Mott. And... You know, you go through the lineup, chase on even. They won't fetch you a lot. Late-round picks, maybe even something future consideration to some degree. But 
I think you can see a lot of those minor deals kind of happen tomorrow as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, and you have to, yeah, you have to do something. I would really love to see Tyler Mott stay. I just don't think it's he. He can probably get more money on an open market, and I we'd you know we'd wish him the best if that was the case. Um, but I wish they could find a way to. But, but you know, where's he going to stay? At? A million and a half is probably all you're going to offer him to stay in Vancouver. Maybe a yeah. little bit more. Um, but yeah, you can, you can't, you know, like I was, I was talking to Irfan Gafar a little bit before and he made a very, he made a good point. You can't keep paying your third and fourth line players three and a half, four million dollars to yeah. play on your third, fourth line. Yeah. Um, but that's just, and there's all sorts of stick handling around the cap too, which, um, you know, is way beyond my expertise set. <laughs> Maybe reach, you know, that's the, I don't, yeah. I mean, I just know they've been spending too many, too much, uh, too much money on players that aren't, uh, yeah. living up to the contracts. Um, that's the, the fact for a lot of teams that are in, uh, the, the situation yeah. that the Canucks find themselves in. But, you know, a guy like Hamannick, was he worth the three million bucks? No, he wasn't living up to that nah. contract. Uh, you've got Myers. Is he living up to six million? There's just too many players on this roster. Too much dead weight, um, and it's just inefficient, you know. And they yeah. have to find a way, as Jim Rutherford said, as Patrick Alvina said, we want to get younger, we want to get faster, and we mm-hmm. need to be more efficient with how we're spending our money. Well, and, and when Jim Rutherford come, comes into the organization, we have to remember, like, he didn't sign any of these guys. Nope. So he's looking at this going, okay, well, how do I clean up this mess, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not, I mean, good. they're a good player. I shouldn't say mess, but how do I clean – how do I make but it? But it is get, kind of a mess. Yeah, how like do I it, get? A lot of this is a yeah. puzzle, like where it just doesn't seem like the yeah. pieces fit together. And it, and it's not his. It's like yeah. it's you know it's like buying a business from somebody that's kind of just and you now you've got to come in and make it work. And uh, so I don't think it's just going to be at this trade deadline or even at the draft. Like this is going to take Jim Rutherford probably a couple of years. Oh to, yeah. To really get it going in the direction you want to get it going right so and and this is the other thing too that we've we've sat here and talked is that i i don't i'm i don't want to watch this team go on a, on the playoff run for like a round or two rounds and then out for two three years they don't i i want to see this organization this team year after year after year like the the mid 2000s right um you're in the playoffs you know you're going to be in the playoffs at the start of the year. Well, how can we get to the conference yeah. final or the finals every year, right? Like the Tampas or Washington. Well, people and all chirp that. the Leafs, yeah. but that's you know they haven't even been able to get past the first round. But every year they go in, they're like, we know we're yeah. getting yeah. in, but how do we get past that yeah. first round, right? Yeah. Their speed bump is a lot different. Well, yeah. and you know what? People don't understand how hard it is to get out of the first round. Like well, we played Colorado yeah. in '96, and they won the cup. They went and won the cup, and they mm-hmm. said their hardest series was against us in Vancouver, and it is usually for every team because well, yeah. once you get out of that first round, the pressure becomes less and less because now everybody's yeah. It's getting out of that first round for those high end yeah. teams. Like it's hard. It's similar to the Canucks yeah. ten years ago. You know, just keep knocking on the door. They knocked on the door, had yeah. those great battles with the Chicago Blackhawks, and then. Finally, Burrow scores that goal in Game Seven, slays the Dragon, and uh, all of a sudden, yeah, you know the floodgates opened, yeah. right? But that team, you knew they were extremely good. But yeah. that's but that's what I want to see. I want I don't want to yeah. see this team make the playoffs this year and then be done for three years. Well, and we're sitting here going, like you know, I want to see them every year be yeah. a contender so we can yeah. watch playoff hockey every year. But I, I I also believe that this is something the team has said itself that they're going to do. I mean, you know, yeah. we had a fiery post game show last night, and you know, uh, 
one of the things that kind of came in was, are they going to make trades? Are they allowed to make trades? Are they just, you know, believing in the roster and bending 2.0? And, and I said, where is this coming from? Since day one, Rutherford came in and said, two things we have to do. Clear cap space and get younger. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's yep. what he said. Alvin said the same thing. Today, yep. Alvin said when he was asked, what did the games matter? Well, we'll get to that. Hershey, thanks for your time. Head coach Bruce Boudreau Thank you. at the podium. Another slow start. Maybe it wasn't the whole period, but certainly the first five minutes. Um, I have no answers for that. I don't know. I mean, you can only talk and practice and um, change things up uh, uh, from the meetings changing up to no pregame skate to whatever else. But uh, so I, I don't have, you know, just keep trying doing different things and maybe maybe it'll pop into the head and we'll, we'll start quick one day. What about stand as a whole, there was a lot of anticipation given what you'd done and to get two wins out of the deal. How tough is that? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, uh, well, the Buffalo-Detroit games, you know, like, I mean, the other ones, you're sitting there and going, okay, you know, if, if we could uh, if we could have won, you know, against Washington or Tampa or Calgary and then taken care of business on the teams that were below you, then I would have thought it would have been, you know, pretty successful as it stands. I mean, it's uh, something we'll, you know, that's was was less than successful, I would think. Even if we had a if we had a one today, it would have been you know a fifty fifty week, and uh, things wouldn't have been as bad, you know. But uh, it uh, you know it's a it'll it's a little bit of a wound. Disappointing not to even touch the puck in overtime. I mean, some similarities to the Washington game. You know, I mean, you lose the first draw, and then they score in the first shot, and. Uh, uh, you know, try different combinations uh, uh, out there, and uh, but those are the disappointing factors of, of overtime. And you know. Bruce, your reaction to the Travis Hamonic trade and the Travis Dermott acquisition? Well, I mean, uh, I don't know Travis Dermott uh, very well, but uh, um, you know, Kevin Clancy was saying he was he, he's a good player. And so like that, I mean, you know, you always hate to see one of your guys go, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, so, but we went defenseman for defense. We got a lefty. We got, you know, if Pullman's coming back, we've got that. So it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, I think, I think it's, it's a good deal too financially for the team. So, you know, good deal. Pullman would probably play on this homestand. Um, he had a little setback, you know, and we're hoping that when we get back from this trip that he'll be able to play. He, he, you never know. I mean, he's not starting off on the trip with us, but, I mean, he could join us halfway through. You talk about not liking to see any players go with the trade deadline coming up tomorrow. Does it weigh on you at all when you're speaking to the room that this might be the last game that you see some of these players? No, not a – no, it doesn't. Uh, uh, I, I mean – I don't think of it that way anyway. You know, I mean, it's a, uh, it's, it's a business, and, you know, things happen in, in the business, right? I mean, uh, but uh, I usually talk to – I haven't talked to uh, Hammer. Uh, I talked to uh, Travis Dermott, and he was very excited about coming. He can't wait to fly here tomorrow and get to, uh, get going with the group. And, you know, it's uh, – anytime you get a – I know it's tough for him to leave Toronto, but anytime you get a new lease on life and you start to play and – and when people trade for you, that means they like you. So it's a, uh, it's a big opportunity for him. Um, so I know he's getting excited. And, and, you know, the guy that leaves never is excited. Uh, 
uh, well, for the most part, especially if he has family here and everything else. So it's it's not an easy transition, but it's a business. You referred to it as a wound, uh, just the performance on this homestand, regrouping with four really tough opponents on the road. Um, what attitude does the club have to have going out? Well, it has to have the attitude. Like, I mean, well, when we lost those first three games in Carolina um, and that – and then we came back and we won on the road in Washington on a back-to-back and in in Nashville. I mean, we got to take that uh, it's now or never, you know, I mean, mentality. We know it's a gauntlet of games the next seven. And uh, uh, we know for sure that by the end of that, we'll know whether we got a chance or we don't have a chance. And so, I mean, it's, uh, uh, it's you either embrace the challenge and say, you know, bring it on, let's do it, or you fear it. And uh, I choose to embrace it because if you do get through it and you have success on it, then you've played the best teams in the West already, and uh, nothing should scare you. So, Just a, a bit of a broad question, and you obviously weren't here from the start of the season, but this team has 14 wins in 32 home games. In seasons where you have started behind the bench, do you have a number in mind of what a – you know how many home wins you think it would take for a playoff team? I don't think about the playoff team, but I mean, if you've got forty-one home games, you, for the most part, good teams want to win three quarters of their games at home and half their games on the road. And then, you know, those are those are good teams with will have great, a really good season if you can do that. After last game, JT talked about wanting to kind of set an example for everyone else in terms of effort. He comes out in the second period, scores that goal, assists on another, has that power move in the third period. Do you feel like he did exactly that, setting an example for the others? Well, I mean, he's our leader, uh, our offensive leader. We need him to to be good. And, uh, you know, you, you can expect him after a 13-game point streak to have a couple days off, but now I expect him to get back to doing what he's doing, and that's leading the team in scoring and uh, he did that again tonight, and he, you know that one in the third period very easily could have you know had the game for us. But uh, I never worry whether he's going to get points or not. He's for the most part uh, he's always you know giving it his all, and and he's being checked by everybody on on the other team. So I mean they're well aware of who we have when when he's on the ice. Thank you. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux after a tough 3-2 loss in overtime against the Buffalo Sabres. And he said it's a wound losing these games on the weekend. And the Canucks, well, they go 2-3-2 on this pivotal seven-game homestand. And Boudreaux mentioned, Dan, that you can't shy away from this challenge. You have to embrace it. You can't be afraid of... uh, of what lies in front of you here. And essentially, they get to 95 points now. They got to go 14-4 and four the rest of the way. Yeah. So th- that just kind of tells you um, how big this challenge is for this Canucks team to try to get to a point where they can get into the postseason or at least put themselves into that combo. And like you said, that's a really daunting task. But uh, he's trying to see if his team can actually live up to it. And what this homestand told us is um, you don't feel confident banking on that. You're really going to look at, look, first and foremost, the way the team started was where they lost their chance yeah. at the playoffs. You know, you win eight of your first 25 games. That's a really big hole to dig yourself out of. But after they made their way back into the playoff conversation, I think you look back at Thursday's game against Detroit as the one that really was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. It, it was too hard to lose that game and then regroup, play Calgary, a hungry Calgary team, 
and then you close out this homestand on the back-to-back here tonight against Buffalo. It just seemed like they never really recovered from that loss to Detroit. And now you have a bit of a murderer's row on this road trip through the Western Conference where you're facing all the best teams in the Central Division outside of Nashville. Colorado, Minnesota, Dallas, St. Louis in a home-and-home to close out that road trip. Two games in a row against the St. Louis Blues. I mean, this is uh, (laughs) – they're in a situation where you have to win three of four of these next next games on the road, right? Yeah. It's just the mental gymnastics you have to do for this team to to carve their way to a playoff spot now is just – they were already pretty significant, and now they're just outlandish, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it's it's becoming a task where you kind of essentially have to go like win seventy five percent of your games. Yeah, which I mean, which is even way better than anything they've done under Boudreaux, which has been super impressive overall from the team. All right, keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox six fifty six fifty. You can grab a phone line as well six zero four two eight zero zero six fifty or toll free one triple eight two seven five zero six fifty. We'll get to some of your phone calls. I'll read a couple texts right now. Donnie says, Bruce, where? It is, Bruce. Where it is? Where is it? <laughs> where is it? Where is it? Bruce? Where it is? Yeah, so uh, a lot of those. Berman from Coquitlam. Resign Miller. Age is just a number. Just make him drink a ginseng tea. So, you know, <laughs> Berman. keep you young? The Arizona like the Arizona teas? I suppose. That, yeah. I suppose. I mean, maybe I should try that. And Brandon and Poco, after tonight's disappointing loss to Buffalo, is the next uh, next game for the Canucks a must not win? So uh, we'll, we'll see exactly where that goes. Keep getting your thoughts in. Grab a phone line. The Canucks Central postgame show rolls on presented by Kintech footwear and orthotics do your feet hurt Kintech can help talk to a fitting expert today at 11 lower mainland locations or online at kintec.net more coming up in the home of your Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet radio network now more of the Kintech footwear and orthotics Canucks postgame show join the discussion text us at 650 650 or call us at 604-280-0650 this is the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet radio network now brings it to center into the Vancouver zone drops to talk left wing cutting into the high slot now to the right circle forced wide by Hughes to the corner Tuck drops right wing for Darlene, makes a move into the slot, shoots, he scores! Rasmus Darlene, just 48 seconds into overtime, and the Sabres beat the Canucks 3-2 tonight in Vancouver. Darlene scores his ninth of the year. We know it's a gauntlet of games the next seven, and uh, uh, we know for sure that by the end of that, we'll know whether we got a chance or we don't have a chance. And So, I mean, it's uh, uh, it's... You either embrace the challenge and say, you know, bring it on, let's do it, or you fear it. And uh, I choose to embrace it because if you do get through it and you have success on it, then you've played the best teams in the West already, and uh, nothing should scare you. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux after a 3-2 loss in overtime against the Buffalo Sabres. Canucks only win two out of seven games on this homestand and picked up a couple points in overtime. One against Washington and one tonight against Buffalo, but nowhere near what they needed to really close ground in this playoff race. It is the Canucks Center postgame show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with 
Dan Riccio. Get your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We will, go, we will go to the phone boards coming up in just a minute. Uh, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Now, before we do that, Dan, uh, what is happening on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650? Uh, there is a uh, ton uh, on the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, they will not win a single game in the upcoming road trip. Heck, they won't even score a single goal on this road trip. So very, very pessimistic there. Another text unsigned. Why not start the energy line, Mott and company, have them go out, bang and crash, set the tone. Bruce can call me and I can order him this free tip. Naomi, all the way from Montreal, taking this failure of a homestand as the nail in the coffin for any playoff hopes for the Canucks. It is tough, Naomi. Six out of a possible 14 points is a real dagger in the heart of whatever playoff hopes or semblance of playoff hopes you had remaining. Uh, This one is Pedersen playing hurt right now. Uh, Another text coming in. I mean, he's probably not 100%, but uh, Pedersen on the wing with Bo Horvat has been an experiment that hasn't really worked for the Canucks at any point this season, Zach. No, it has not worked out at all. I mean, and, you know, when you can't win enough home games over the course of a season, that does sink you as well, right? I mean, we can talk about the bad start to the season. That's a topic of conversation for sure. I mean, that plays a big part into where they are right now. But also a big storyline for this team this year is their inability to really find consistency on home ice. Yep. You have to have a home ice advantage if you want to be a playoff team. And the Canucks have done really well on the road. And that's where they've you know really excelled as a team so far this year. And if you had better discipline and if you handled being at home better and made it into an advantage... We could be having a different conversation. Instead, we're sitting here and talking about how the Leaf fans wanting more often than not. They've lost more games here yeah. on home ice than they've won. It's uh, it's wild. And you know what? I think it, co- it goes into the bigger conversation, the, the thing that we keep pointing to with all the starts, right? How come they start every game so poorly? It comes down to preparedness, comes down to professionalism all of these things culture that are buzzwords that are intangibles that a lot of the new group has pointed to in their initial assessments of this team and this roster that they've taken over I think that all plays into it sat slow starts poor at home I think Boudreaux's even mentioned you know sometimes I'm paraphrasing, but it was a press conference from a while ago where Boudreaux said, I think maybe we get a little too comfortable at home sometimes. You know, you're sleeping in your own bed, you're doing your family things, whatever it is, and you're not as engaged, as focused as you may be when you're just going through it on the road. I think all of those things are on the table, and that's part of the evaluation of this team Not just how do we get better from a talent perspective, but how do we really bring up the standards of everything we do here within the Canucks organization. And that starts with your best players. It starts with your top-end leaders. And when they don't bring it consistently, it falls on their shoulders. They made Mm -hmm. a coaching change. Boudreaux pressed as many buttons as he can. The team has done well, but a lot of things remain. A lot of issues persist. And that 
if it wasn't evident before, it is clearly evident now. It's strictly on the top-end players on this team, that yeah. leadership group. Who's part of the solution and who can't be part of the solution? And you have to be realistic about who those players are. It's hard for us to really gauge exactly from our perspective. The organization, of course, have more information. They have better access. They better make sure they find the right mix because right now this mix is clearly not good enough. Uh, let's go uh, back to the phone. Let's go to the phone boards, 604-280-0650. And we start in Delta where Jerry is on the line. Jerry, thanks for calling in. What do you have for us tonight? Hey Jerry. Here's the thing. One, yeah, I'm here. Gotcha. Yeah, wh- yeah. One of the things I wanted to make a point on was that um, Demco is doing exactly what Luongo did, and it masks the problems of what the team had. Because again, he was outplaying most of the other teams, but of course, and covering up for the mistakes that the two teams had with those two uh, co- uh, goalies in in the in the order. And the other thing with this particular team, and I'm not blaming the new management, but I'm just going to say to you that um, I find that on this particular team, there's too many locked-in contracts, and I don't see why they can't do it for a few stars, but they have too many guys that have locked-in contracts, and that's really restricted the management of what they're doing to be able to move forward, and I hope they don't do that in the future. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks for the phone call. And, you know, he makes a good point. You can't lock yourself in with a bunch of long-term contracts that are hard to move. And when you have a lot of no-trade protection, that puts you in a pickle. And that's essentially where the Canucks find themselves. And today they did a magnificent job getting out from under that um, Travis Travis Hammond contract. And, you know, Dermott, we'll see what he turns out to be. But I understand he makes $1.5 million. He's a 25-year-old defenseman. This team is hoping they can get more out of him in a different opportunity. And we'll see ultimately how all that unfolds. But they've been able to get rid of one contract, which was putting them in a tough spot. Now, next season, when you factor in uh, Furlan and LTIR, the Canucks are pushing closer to $15 million in cap space. Right? So now you have a bit more to play with. And you're not looking to go out and sign players to free agent contracts. What you're looking to do here is maybe trade some other guys, change the mix a little bit, and find a way to accrue some real value, right? And ultimately, that's where I see this team going. And I see people texting in. I saw this text here. Um, It says, why do you get sensitive? Ed and Edmonton, why do you get sensitive when trade rumors swirl around Horvat? When he was drafted, he was projected as a bottom of the roster center because of the Canucks' lack depth. Horvat was thrust into a top six position. So basically, I I mean, I've said for a long time, I'm not against trade. None of us are sensitive about it. I know fans sometimes get sensitive when Bo Horvat's name comes up, and I get it. He's the captain. They bought into him. Fans have their favorites and all that sort of stuff. When I said last year, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is better than (laughs) Bo Horvat, that's when people got really sensitive. (laughs) They did. They got sensitive over that. I would say this, though. I mean, the reality here about this team is, as you look at the deadline, but more so into the offseason, who can't you, who can you live without, potentially? And really, it's only two or three guys, or four, if you really, really squint, that you say, okay, this team can't get rid of. Everybody else, it's fair to have a conversation about. And I think this organization is open to having conversations about just about anyone outside of a handful of players, and the rest... It comes down to valuation again. And the Canucks, I think, have a clear idea of what they want to do and how to get there comes down to what they can get back in return right now and into the offseason. But I wouldn't be surprised if they listened to just about anything at this point. And I expect them to listen to everything. Why wouldn't you listen to everything? You've seen everything you've needed to see with this team. Yeah. You know, Jerry mentioned that Thatcher Demko masks a lot of this team's issues. And I get it, 
I think it masks their record to a certain extent because Demko has won them so many games this year. I don't think for one second that it has masked how Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and the rest of that new front office looks at this team. Yeah. They have, at any recent availability, interview they've done, the first thing they talk about is the goalie. And I get that you can't apologize for great goaltending, but your goalie can't be the identity of your team. No. To win in the National Hockey League, your goalie cannot be the main identity of your team. And I think this new front office understands that, and they're going about thinking about how they are going to fix that. Mm. And they've been honest about that from day one. So this (laughs) rhetoric and narrative that they think this team is some juggernaut all of a sudden because they've won a bunch of games and got themselves close to a playoff race that they had no business being in when they won eight of their first 25 games. Uh, I I just, I I don't follow it, Sat. And I know together we haven't followed it for one second on Canuck Central over the last couple of months. No, not at all. And listen, I I am not going to be yelling and screaming as much as I was last night. I mean, I, I was heated. Last Man. night on the post game show, right? And the the thing that I was walking around town, you know, I was at the mall today. I was at Metro Town, and I just like, you know, walking around. There's just people like, did you see? Did you hear that guy on the post game show last night? He was so mad. He yeah. was just ranting about everything, yeah. and he was right. <laughs> they traded him today. They traded the 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 Hamannick guy. <laughs> I, I swear this happened at Metro Town today. Unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. It's talk around town. But, I mean, the thing that really triggered me last night, and, and there was so much of it. And, listen, we talked about this in, about this in the past, and I understand every once in a while somebody's going to say something. But it was overwhelming, this sensitive of these guys don't know what they're doing. They have no idea. It's Jim Benning 2.0. This is pathetic management. And Aquilini's not letting them make trades. And it was just it was obscene that that was the conversation after the game the other night. And I was telling him, like, they will make trades. We mentioned this on the show last week. Yeah. They're open to making trades. It's about valuation. This weekend, sure, it matters to some degree, but that's not going to be the determining factor on whether they make trades or not. Valuation is going to be, right? Because they want cap space and they want to get younger. And what did you just say? Yeah. They've been telling you this since day one. Somebody texted it and said, at least you should tell us our plan. I'm like, hello? I became Herm Edwards. I'm like, they've been telling you all along. And if you don't believe me. Believe them. Well, And, and listen, I'm going to play a clip here from Patrick Alvin today. He was asked specifically, mm-hmm. Why did you make the decision to make trades today? And here was his answer. I don't, uh, as I said, uh, from the start here, we want to take our time to, to evaluate, uh, you know, uh, we're rostering the players. I, I don't make emotional decisions after wins or losses. And uh, this is just a, a you know, a, a, a part of the process of, of uh, getting younger um, and, and also creating some cap space here. We want to get younger, and we want to get cap space, and these wins and losses don't determine that goal. What else do you need as far yeah. as the message goes? They've said that from day one. They've said it from literally day one, whether it was Alvin or it was Rutherford. Rutherford has mentioned this numerous times, that this is what part of the plan is. And you know, I talked about this on Twitter. 
in that, you know, the front office has been telling you this from day one. So, you know, if you hear a rumor like, hey, the Canucks are trying to shop Tanner Pearson, it's like, yeah, they're trying to they're trying to create cap space. Yes. So I would imagine they're trying to trade anybody that isn't Demko or Quinn Hughes or Elias Pettersson, the three untouchables. Even Miller, like, yes, Miller is somebody they would love to keep, but – you know, if there's a great offer, like Lafreniere is all of a sudden on the table, maybe they'll listen a little bit longer. But I doubt that's happening in the next 12-plus hours, so what's the point of talking about it? This is all about getting younger and creating cap space. Creating cap space is key. Are they able to do all of this and really calibrate the team next year to the way that they want it? Probably not, but they're creating that cap space, removing some of those long-term deals that the previous callers mentioned are a bit of a hindrance so that they can change this roster and make it something that they believe can win. You know, that's ultimately what their goal is. They've been telling you part of their plan, but on Twitter, you know, when I mentioned this, it just seems like people have gotten so jaded from uh, Jim Benning's lack of ability to outlay his plan and execute it. Um, And I think a lot of that was how much ownership had their ideas of how the team needed to be moving forward and the direction that needed to move forward for the team. All of those things do apply but that's not the case with Jim Rutherford. He is a three-time cup winner. He's a hockey hall of famer. He's told you his plan from day one, and this is how they are starting to execute that plan. Yeah, it's already begun, and there'll be a lot more. We'll see if, if that more happens on the deadline, but definitely in this offseason, there will be moves happening. All right, uh, we'll squeeze in another phone call here. 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Let's go to Coquitlam where Gord is on the line. Gord, thanks for calling in. Uh, what do you have for oh, us hey, guys. Hey, hey, Gord. Hey, Gord, Gord what's happening? Uh, just uh, at the game, I'm not happy, you know, but I think really, I, I, I think at this point, it's safe to say that 750. I mean, mathematically, we're not out, but right. I mean, we're out. Okay. Yeah. And we really got to look at uh, things differently. You know, I, I something has always been bothering me. I know people say that Patterson is an untouchable. I actually, personally, am not that impressed with Patterson, especially his character. I mean, I won't quote you unless you ask. I'm sorry, I won't quote you. I won't quote it unless you ask me to waste your time on the radio. But I remember three interviews he had when he first started, and I thought, this is a, this is a spoiled kid with, with a bad attitude. And I, you know, I would be totally for trading Pedersen for, because we don't have a franchise player in the forwards, a young franchise player up front that we can lean on, that we can build on. I do not believe Pedersen is it. Hey, Gord. Uh, hey, you got it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for the phone call. That is Gord calling in uh, from Coquitlam and uh, does not believe in Elias Pedersen. Now, the season Elias Pedersen has had and how difficult it's been, and he got better and then he got hurt again, and you know, obviously tonight not, not a banner performance from Pedersen and him and Horvat don't really mesh. And yesterday, Boudreau called both players out. Yep. He said they were the stars of the video. And what he means by that is the video they show the guys after the game or ahead of the next game to show the mistakes they made. Yeah. 
a He's lot of mistakes, the mistakes were, were being made. 40 and 53 came up off in the video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stars of the show. So, has it been great? Now, the issue here with Pedersen is, especially after one year of not being great, and I understand the frustration around his game, there is no value in trading him. And by that, I don't mean you don't get a haul. You do get a haul. But your point is you're trying to get a superstar player. You're not winning a trade if you're trading Pedersen today. Yeah, you know that's why. And if you're, you're trading Pedersen too, is more likely to acquire the superstar player than you are. Exactly. So that's where it gets difficult. And the only way you can maybe do a superstar trade if something really big comes up and you're able to do that type of a swap, those are not easy to do. So I don't see that really being realistic. As far as maturity in the entire core goes, and I'm not just directing this at Pedersen. I think what Gore touches on, though, whether it's directly one player or not, there's a lot of immaturity here with this group. Right, and not the immaturity as behaving like kids, but do they really know what it takes to be a professional at the elite level? Yeah. And not just performing individually, but performing and setting a standard, like you mentioned, yeah. for the rest of your team and your teammates. Because one thing Alvin mentioned was practice habits, and he mentioned Crosby and his practice habits. And when we talk about leadership, and we talk to former players about leadership, and on Canuck Central, Dan, we have Ken Danico on often. Yeah. Incredible insight from the former devil's defenseman and when we asked him recently what defines leadership to you he said practice habits and how you prepare for games yeah what are the two things this team has been calling out recently practice habits and how you prepare for games there's immaturity there and that's something that has to change and that begins with your leaders in a big way i think there was um you know an expectation that that would just carry through when when they uh when the sedines retired um but it's clearly uh, been a void for this team over the last couple of seasons to get everybody on that same page. Look, a couple of weeks ago, Pedersen was back. He was high-flying. When this homestand started and Miller had the four-point game against the Montreal Canadiens, I said Elias Pedersen was the best player in that game. And then he gets hurt. And he hasn't looked like the same guy since. Look, Pedersen cannot play the wing. with Certainly not with Bo Horvat. Um, I would prefer to see the lotto line get put back together if you're going to keep loading up your top six because Pedersen and Horvat do not mesh. I'd almost rather Pedersen play with Patan and Chase on because I think he's just more involved in the game. Yeah, at least, at least the game goes through him. Right. When... He's when he's playing through the middle of the ice, it just seems to fit more naturally for him. Yeah, he seems more comfortable. He's more involved, more engaged. All of those things happen. And should that you know be you know something that tilts Pedersen's game so wildly in different uh, ways? No, it shouldn't. But his whole season has been that. I still think you bet on the talent of a player. He's at a crossroads early in his career where he's trying to hit that next level he's i've been a great player how do i get to be a superstar like a legit superstar in this league where we thought he was that in year two how does he get there consistently i think he's he's trying to figure that out right now for himself and it's it's been a real trying year for him but i think as i've always said all year long you still believe in the talent and work with it rather than yeah uh you know 
try to force a way out. And if you want to be on a winning team, what can you contribute to ensure that winning standard happens? Yeah. And those are the things that has to get figured out here moving forward. A, a lot of great thoughts coming in on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650 We'll get back to those coming up on the other side, plus more of your phone calls, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And later tonight, Ian McIntyre makes his return to the Canuck Central postgame show. It'll be back. good to have Ian Mac back for the final segment. And on the other side, in addition to your reaction and phone calls, the latest on the Canucks when it comes to the rumor front, and you will will want to hear from Luke Shen, Canuck defenseman who has been caught up in trade rumors, also very honest about the current state of this hockey team and what he wants to see for his future. We'll discuss that and more as the Canuck Central Post Game Show rolls on, presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Do your feet hurt? Kintech can help. Talk to a fitting expert today at 11 Lower Mainland locations or online at kintec.net. More coming up on the Home of Your, Canu- on, on the home of your Canuck, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the Kintec Footwear and Orthotics Canucks postgame show. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Patterson, right wing, hash marks. Carries bottom of the circle, sweeps it back to Hughes' right point. He'll go rink wide to the left boards for JT Miller. Miller skating downhill towards the net, spins back to the wall under pressure from Tuck, then passes into the slot for Horvath, he scores! Bo Horvat with the patented one-timer from the slot ties the game at two on the power play with 6.28 left in the second. Well, Bo Horvat, the legendary shot that he has on the power play from right in the middle of their box. Canucks tied it, got to overtime, but ended up losing 3-2 against the Buffalo Sabres. Putting a big, big dent in their push for the postseason with a terrible homestand going 2-3-2. Two, and two. And this is the Canucks Central Postgame Show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Dan Riccio. Uh, we'll get to your phone calls coming up in just a second. 604-280-0650 or toll free. one 275 650 A lot of reaction coming in on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox here, Dan. And Gord called in calling out Elias Patterson and we talked about um, how listen I'm not for trading Elias Patterson people want to talk about character stuff and all that sort of stuff I get people are frustrated at the end of the day this team has to mature now a lot of polarizing text coming in on oh, it. Yeah. one text coming in saying you guys never called out Patterson you're always protecting him uh, you coddle him yada yada this person's been sending a lot of texts saying things along those lines this entire post game show Sean of Vancouver goes the other way he says uh, you guys could address the PD character stuff more. He's clearly been dealing with an injury most of the year. Boudreaux calls him out positively as the hardest worker in practice earlier this year, and generally he's been regarded as a very high-character person his entire career. That spoiled brat stuff is a bunch of BS and in line with telling him to stay off Instagram. Uh, and Tambier says, After listening to Gord, I'm reevaluating my opinion on Patterson. The character he displays on a day-to-day basis is a bit concerning. Hard for me to ignore, to be honest. And the reality is, Dan... The character stuff people talk about, they're taking that out of a couple of interviews, which I don't really think is a real comment on how the player does. And I do think that stuff goes too far as far as, you know, going after his character because he played poorly this season and has said a few, you know, quirky things. It might be a bit of an odd character as far as how, you know, he conducts himself a little bit. But Sean is right. He's, there, he's never been accused of being a guy who doesn't work hard. 
Never in yeah. his career. He's never been accused of that. And, you know, IMAC has written a bunch of really good stories on uh, on Elias Patterson, And you get to the bottom of just how impressive his work ethic has been. Look, I, I just think that there are some things that Patterson has to work on um, in general to make himself a more consistent player. I think he can be hard on himself sometimes. I think there's just a lot of wanting to see Pedersen play at a more consistent level right now because when he is going, he is so clearly a difference maker, but we just haven't seen that often enough this year. And it happened again last year as well, at least from the start before he started to figure it out. Canucks next year, like, However this team looks, they need to see Elias Pettersson from day one, mm-hmm. you know, through training camp and starting the season being that guy that lifts the bar here in Vancouver. And I do think, you know, there is – it's not that it's a, you know, the leadership question, but Pettersson isn't really that guy, you know. And I think that's part of the reason you hear them talk about Miller so much in that way is – he is that one guy that seems to be really setting that standard, is vocal, is emotional, yeah. wears his heart on his sleeve, all those things, and is just generally by nature a, a leader type. And and I don't know if Pedersen has that in him, but that's part of building a leadership group around this team and identifying those guys that mix well together to create one that works. Well, and the big question, too, is who mixes well together? Yes. Who can coexist and who can't coexist? And figure out what that is. Yep. Can this team have Miller and Pedersen coexist long-term and being able to get the best out of both guys? Is that possible? They haven't gone to the lotto line. Yep. What does that kind of tell us or does it tell us anything? Right? Yep. And some questions to wonder, and we'll see how ultimately how all this kind of works out over the next little bit. A lot of good uh, thoughts coming into the text inbox. We'll try to get back to more of those as the show goes on here. But let's go to the phone boards. Uh, well, let's stop in Nanaimo where Paul is on the line. Paul, thanks for hanging in there. What do you have for us tonight? Oh, man, I've been on hold for so long I can't remember. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Um, no, I, I was uh, listening to a previous caller uh, about Pedersen, um, you know, um, and, uh, you know, as far as how hard he works in practice or whatever, um, I, 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 I can't see him as, as a uh, um, untouchable. Uh, if there were three untouchables on this Vancouver Canucks team right now, I, I would have to uh, replace him with Miller. Uh, along with Hughes and Demko, of course, um, and um, uh, I, I'm uh, I'm afraid they're going to have to they're going to have to let Besser go. They're going to have to see what they can get for him, um, and uh, with what they could say from Besser, Pedersen, and Myers, if they can ship him well, out. Well, here's the thing, that, though: that, if you, if you ship Pedersen out, the question I have though is, I mean, this whole talk of yeah. shifting Pedersen out, what do you want to replace yeah. that with? Like, how are well, you finding a high-end center? Like, how are we finding a high-end center who's 23 years old that has the potential, who won the Calder Trophy? That, that can be a high-end guy. I mean, Pedersen, what he's done through his first, you know, uh, three, four years of his career point-per-game-wise, still ranks really high as far as what Canuck yeah. players have done in history. So, I mean, as much as he's struggled, like, how, how do you go about replacing and finding a player that has that type of potential? I just, 
I just see him as well. I, I think that that's the job of, of our our new management team, and I have full faith in them. I, I think they will they will fill the spots that needed to be filled, uh, especially this summer. Um, but um, no, I, I down the middle, I like I like, uh, I like uh, Horvat as the second center. Miller, of course, the first center. All right. Hey, Paul, pre- you appreciate and, you got it. Appreciate your thoughts and the call coming in. Good run there and good discussion as far as what the team can do. The thing is. <laughs> I just can't see a world where you're winning an Elias Pettersson trade. And it's you're easy not. to say, you know, Rutherford and those guys get paid for it. Unless you can get, like, a Barzal back in return or make a swap like that. Like, and, and is that going to happen? I know people text that in all the time, but is that realistic or is that an NHL 22 thing that people yeah. talk about? You know it's what I mean? NHL 22 thing. So, so, hey, would I be against a swap like that? I mean, in theory, you know, okay, sure. Show me how you're replacing a 23, 24-year-old potential number one franchise center, finding a guy with that type of potential. Right? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Right? Like, how do you go about doing that? It's hard enough finding a guy to replace, finding somebody um, to play alongside them as a winger. It's hard enough to find a second-line center that works. We're sitting here talking about Bo and how good he is. And if Bo's your guy long-term as your second-line center, I don't know if that's good enough, to, to be honest with you, right? So... How are you trading Elias Pettersson and finding a talent that's going to be as good or better than him long term? Pettersson's still been a guy uh, at different points. You know what? What was the stretch? About twenty games where he was a point per game from January through to uh, the the injury he just recently got over these last few games, and he's been quiet since coming back. Look, I, I, I get the frustration around the player. I get that you know he's not the. Uh, rah-rah type and you love seeing what JT Miller does everybody loves seeing JT Miller put the team on his back like he did again tonight to for like you know somehow guide them towards a point and how he's done it so often this year he wears his heart on his sleeve I get that and people love seeing that but Pedersen's never going to be that guy. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. You should know that more than any other market in this league, given what the Sedins meant to this team for so long and the fact that they were a part of a team that was as good as has been ever built in the salary cap era, just didn't win a Stanley Cup. So, look, he doesn't need to be that guy in order to really end up being the star player that we think he is. He has seen a lot of adversity this year. I think there's a lot that Pedersen has to do this summer to get himself prepared for next year. I think all of those things are true at the same time, and yet he's still having, like, if this is a bad season for Elias Pedersen, think about that. Still going to end up with decent numbers, even in a bad season. I will take that and still bet on the player that I saw for most of the early part of his career. Point a game, good 200 feet. By the way, he's now become a pretty solid penalty killer as well for this team. I mean, there's a lot of good in that player, value in that player. That doesn't mean you should cut loose on him because you wish he was more vocal or you wish he didn't say some of the things he did over the summer or he didn't have the contract dispute through training <laughs> camp. Like the, the, a lot of those things aren't really Pedersen's fault. Uh, no question. Uh, this text, why are you guys even talking about trading Pedersen? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Well, people are texting in. and I mean, people are calling in. We're responding to what people are saying on the phone lines who call in. Uh, this one says, sat your high centers. Uh, Pedersen doesn't play center. Yes, he does play center. I mean, what are people talking We're about We're just here? talking about how – 
Like, we he, prefer he's played, him to play center than he, the wing. He's been playing center his entire career yeah. outside of a little bit on the wing, and the reason he's on the wing right now most likely is because he is a bit banged up, and they don't want him playing down the middle, and they're trying to load up their top six. Like, what are people talking about? Because he's not t- he doesn't win enough draws for you. You, Hey, well, playing it, center is more It goes more than, back to the, the lotto line and Miller taking most of the yeah, draws. Playing center the playing center is more than just taking draws. You play through the middle of the ice. Yes. When Ed Pedersen's playing center, he's playing through the middle of the ice. When he played on the lotto line, he played up the middle. Up the middle. He did not play on the wing on mm-hmm. the lotto line. Miller took draws, but, but Pedersen played center. So yep. I don't know what people are talking about. I, okay, I'm trying really hard not to scream and yell again tonight. I, I can only do that so much before people think I'm truly unhinged. But come on, like let let's not yeah make things up or believe something that's not true to be true just because he doesn't win faceoffs and take enough faceoffs. All right, uh, let's go back to the phone boards six zero four two eight zero zero six fifty. We go to Vancouver where Beatrice is on the line. Uh, what you got for us tonight? Hello, I promise I'm not going to make you as mad. I don't want to trade Patterson. <laughs> but I do want to understand why we're still keeping and paying so much money to Tyler Myers. Because honestly speaking, when I see him playing, it's almost seen like a geese playing in the ice. And I can't see him coexist with any other player and help Demko again. I also agree when you say that Demko cannot be the star of our game, although he's been saving us a lot. But yeah. with a defense, having like Tyler Myers as our defense that hasn't helped us at all, I, I would like to understand why this is not even under a discussion to, to trade him. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, Beatrice. Thanks for the phone call and uh, good thoughts there. You, you know, I mean, as far as Pedersen goes and as far as, you know, the, the overall net minding, yeah, I mean, you should never apologize for having great goaltending. That's always something you rely on. But overall, I mean, it has to be so much more than just goaltending for this team. And for a guy like Elias Pettersson specifically, he's got to get back to being what he's been in the past. And this notion that he can't play center or that, you know, he can't figure it out, to me is absolutely absurd. Yep. It is. Um, Even, like, looking at his face-off stats because, man, uh, bless Pierre Maguire, but boy, did he ever make... uh, Faceoffs, way more uh, valued than than he really should have. Yeah. Uh, faceoffs are valuable, but like I, I think we put too much <laughs> value in the faceoff, uh, and I, I kind of have to laugh at it sometimes. But even if you look at Pedersen's draws and some of his faceoff percentages over the last little while, he has been uh, you know over fifty percent in a lot of games that he has been taking draws recently. And obviously he played the wing since coming back from the injury. But if you go back to um, post-All-Star break, Pedersen was over 50% in basically every game outside of a handful. So this idea that Pedersen is awful in the draw is also a misnomer and something that you've built up in your head that – just isn't entirely true. He's been getting better, just like a lot of other young players around the league take some time to get better in the face-off mm-hmm. draw as they get stronger, as they understand more of the nuances of what it takes to win face-offs consistently. Hello, did you see Bo Horvat's face-off numbers early in his career? Now, as for what Beatrice mentioned with Tyler Myers, uh, people have been trading Tyler Myers since the day he signed the contract yeah. with the Vancouver Canucks. Um, uh, given 
uh, you know, his reputation around the league, especially in analytic communities. But I think with Myers, the biggest thing about this deadline and the idea of change, he it's not out of the realm of possibility that Tyler Myers is eventually moved on and out of Vancouver. I just think it's highly unlikely in the next 14 hours, uh, actually uh, 13 and a half, let's say, uh, Beatrice, just because his salary is too big and he does, as we learned in the last couple of weeks, a full no trade clause uh, until the summer. So I think those are things that just make a Tyler Myers deal very difficult in the here and now. But I do think, as we've said numerous times, if the team is going to open up cap space Myers is probably part of that discussion just because of the sheer uh, value of his contract yeah I mean yeah that's gonna be more of a offseason thing but we'll see what happens by tomorrow's deadline Uh, a lot of thoughts coming in here Uh, I want to ask people a question people saying Pedersen doesn't take draws text in how many face-offs you think Elias Pedersen has taken this season (laughs) text them in I just want for those saying he doesn't take draws never takes face-offs text in how many face-offs you believe Elias Pettersson has taken this season? It's ridiculous. I'm just, I'm just asking the question because, you know, and some of these people text in and they're like, what are you talking about? He played, he played wing in Sweden. So what? And I'm talking about the NHL. Sweden doesn't matter right now. Yep. His NHL career, he's been predominantly a center. Mm-hmm. Clearly predominantly a center. And he's been taking a lot of face-offs this year. And as I said, again, t- people can text in and, and, and predict and tell us how many faceoffs they think Elias Patterson has taken. Even in his uh, first year, he ended up taking quite a bit. If yeah. you look back at the numbers. So, again, it's a fallacy. This idea that Patterson doesn't take draws. Yes, Miller took the majority of them in the year that the Canucks were really good and they were playing on that lotto line together. But that doesn't mean Miller played through the middle of the ice for the whole shift in play Pedersen played as the center taking you know the high slot taking some of the defensive responsibilities those were all landing on Pedersen just because he wasn't taking the face off doesn't mean he wasn't doing those things no no question about that and you know people texting in uh just about um you know Ilias Patterson's ability and what he may not do and all those sort of things. And to me, it just how like did I said, tonight become an indictment on Elias Pedersen? I don't know what I, is happening. I truly believe people want me to go off again. <laughs> I think it's a coordinated act to get me to go off again, and we'll see what happens. All right, we have iMac on the other side. Uh, we'll play some Luke Shen audio. We'll break things down. This is the Canuck Central Post Game Show presented by Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life. And the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. You're listening to the Kintech Footwear and Orthotics Canucks postgame show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in B.C. Only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. On comes loose to Samuelson. He'll get it ahead for Zemgus Gergensen, who fires it cross ice into the Vancouver zone. Bryson skates onto it. Down the right wing. Drop pass to Gergensen's backhand shot. It was blocked in front. Gets his oh. own rebound. And he's robbed by Demko, who stacked the pads old school. A tremendous save from Thatcher Demko to keep the game tied at two with 33 seconds left in the second. I love this about Thatcher Demko because there's a point where technique goes out the window for goaltenders. Thatcher Demko gets the crowd going with the two-pad stack save at the end of the second period. Help the Canucks get a point tonight. 
tonight? Not enough, though. They fall 3-2 in overtime against the Buffalo Sabres. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show presented by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, keeping you active on your feet for life on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, keep getting your thoughts in to our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. We'll go to a couple phone uh, calls here coming up in just a second. Ian McIntyre is going to join us coming up uh, in a few minutes' time as well here on the Post Game Show. Uh, and I asked the question, how, how many face-offs do you think Elias Patterson has taken so far this season? Mark texted in and said 88. Um, <laughs> definitely not. This one here, uh, unsigned, said 100 face-offs for Patterson. Uh, Marcus and Gibson says 500. He's close. Uh, a couple of people had it on the dot, so I think uh, you knew this number from Fantasy Hockey or uh, you looked it up. 474 face-offs. Ah, uh, who's checking out hockey reference, eh? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, hey, listen, he, he's only won 44% of those draws. Yeah. But for the people that say he doesn't take face-offs, he's taken 474 face-offs this season. Again, uh, like a lot of things with Pedersen this year, uh, it's gotten a lot better as the season's gone on in the draw for him. Uh, look at his numbers from January onward, a lot better. And, yeah, you know, again, face-offs aren't the be-all and end-all, Okay. There are situations where you need face-off wins, but not every face-off is critical, you know? Um, There are coaches. What's the the biggest face-off that coaches talk about? Probably the overtime one. You know, the Canucks didn't touch the puck in overtime tonight because they lost the draw. Um, The first uh, face-off on the penalty kill, you always want to have that because you – get to kill an easy 25 seconds, win the draw, dump it down the ice, there you go. Um, like th- Those are critical face-offs. But not every face-off is a critical mass. You know, like the opening face-off, nobody really cares yeah. who wins or loses it, right? It's not, it's not, not any neutral zone face-off isn't the, the end of the world if you lose them. There's just certain draws that are more important than others. And there are teams that tactically lose face-offs in the offensive zone because they think it gives them an advantage if they can get in on the forecheck and do some other things. So, uh, yes, again, the idea of face-offs all being the same is just uh, ludicrous. I did want to address one text. Um, It's asking because I said earlier that uh, a team's identity can't be their goaltending. And uh, this text says, hey, Dan, you said goaltending shouldn't be the be-all for a team. Isn't Shesterkin the be-all for the playoff-bound Rangers? Yes, he is. That's the problem with the Rangers and why they are probably a first-round exit unless Shesterkin absolutely stands on his head. Like, if I'm power-ranking the Eastern Conference playoffs, I'm probably putting the Rangers eighth. Yes. I mean, mean, they're, they're a flawed team. That's going to be really good, but still isn't the full picture yet, yeah. right? But they do get great goaltending. But, yeah, I mean, as a team, I'm not quite, you know, sold on. they're talking about getting a guy like Miller. Like, go look at their lineup and tell me that you you fear the Rangers lineup. No, I mean, no, 100%. Ryan Strom is their second-line center. Like, that's not... <laughs> yeah, it's not... Right. I mean, they have flaws, too. That's a team that's not the complete picture. You're yeah. right. They need a guy They need a guy like J.T. Miller. Uh, keep getting your thoughts into our text inbox. Let's go to the phone boards before we get to Ian McIntyre coming up in a few minutes' time here. Uh, let's go to Victoria, where Vince is on the line. Vince, thanks for calling in. Uh, Vince fell off. Let's go to John in Victoria. John, uh, what do you have for us tonight? Uh, uh, all right, let's go to Matthew in Richmond. 
Hi there. Yes. Hi. Big fan of the show. Um, I was at the game tonight, and um, I was with a buddy of mine, and we were just sitting and talking about potential trades the Canucks could make tomorrow. Um, I think the Hamannick deal was actually a, a great move by Alvin and Rutherford and the rest of the group. Um, Bessard has not looked like a threat lately. Um, I was thinking, I was talking to my buddy of mine, he's a big Besser fan, and I was thinking, you know, potentially Besser could be gone tomorrow. Um, he's a big Garland fan as well, so I, you know, potentially I would like to see, see Garland stay on the team. But, I mean, there, there are a ton, of, a ton of moves that Canucks could make, and um, I, think, I think Besser might be at the top of the list. Uh, thanks for the phone call. And as far as Brock Besser is concerned, uh, Alvin did address the Besser question today when asked, Dan, and he said, we're going to talk contract to see where we go. We have time until the draft. To July is what he said, yeah. which is essentially the draft and before you get to free agency when the qualifying offer is due. Again, none of us can say with any certainty that a player will or will not be moving outside of maybe a, a few guys on this roster. The sense I get, however is it's more likely that Besser, if he gets traded, that happens in the offseason. I, uh, I, I, I've long said of how much I think of Brock Besser as a player, and it's hard to watch him right now and see where you're getting $6 million value. Yeah. Because that's probably what it's going to cost to keep him here in Vancouver. And that's hard because I think he's a really good player. He's a really smart player. And he's become a better two-way player than most yeah. people give him credit for. But at the end of the day, if you're getting paid $6 bucks, you've got to really contribute and impact on offense. And Brock hasn't done a lot of that in what's been the most important stretch of the Canucks season. And I wonder just overall just what the valuation is, though, in trades. Mm-hmm. Again, like all the things people point out to other people, Team C as well. So it yeah. all comes down to the contract. And what the Canucks have to ask themselves is are we getting more value out of a contract for Besser that's under the $7.5 million qualifying offer or whatever we get back in return and the subsequent cap space? Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a tough spot to be in. Like, again, I don't think you can let him walk for free. Oh, that's not happening. Yeah. But I think, and I've said this for months, I think the best bet is to sign Brock to a contract, probably in the $6 million average annual value mm-hmm. range, and hope he bounces back next year. Assuming that happens, then you have some options with Brock. Either you're committed to him, or you know he all of a sudden has value in the trade market again, because right now, I mean, you're just not getting anything close to value because teams have the same problem you have mm-hmm. with the $7.5 million qualifying offer. Uh, there was another text I did want to get to. It's from Jesse. The fact we haven't talked about the highest paid player on the longest contract, OEL, in the last two hours tells you everything you need to know. Uh, he's not the highest paid player, but he is uh, close second to Quinn Hughes on an average annual value. But... Um, and actually behind Elias Pettersson as well from a cap hit. But OEL, the main culprit on that first goal, I think that whole shift, he had two or three giveaways that were just like, my, what, like, what are you even looking at there, OEL? And it, it, it's frustrating for a player that usually sees the ice so well. Yeah. Uh, even when he's not moving well, you, you expect him to still have the vision to make the right pass out there. But uh, he is a shadow of the player we saw earlier this year and I think it's a it's one of the biggest reasons not Elias Pettersson not anybody else but one of the biggest reasons the Canucks 
flopped on this homestand was OEL is just not playing anywhere near the level he was playing at earlier. I think he's clearly injured, and we talked about this. Yeah. And the Canucks went from having two D pairs that are winning their matchups to having one that's breaking even and slightly winning it, Quinn Hughes and Luke Shen. And even they struggled a little bit for a time, and that's why Boudreaux tried Hamannick and Hughes for a game to see if they mm-hmm. could kind of start something there. So when you went from having a D pair that was winning its matchup to now getting crushed in its matchup, it has a massive impact. I mean, we talk about defense as it is. When that D pair went from being a win to a loser on a nightly yeah. basis, and I think it's all hinging on OEL's health. I mean, the reason he, he wasn't getting turnstiled like this—you don't get turned like that unless one of two things: you just are not a good skater, and you don't you don't have good good lateral mobility, or you're dealing with something that is impacting your lateral immobility. And that's why guys are driving right through him. He can't turn right now, right? He can't dip and move over, right? He has no bend in his game. Clearly, there's some sort of lower body injury. Is it a hip injury, you know, leg, knee, ankle? Who knows? But clearly, there's something hindering him, and it's having a massive impact on this team. Yeah, and obviously, you know, he's trying to tough it out with the team in the playoff race that they were in, but um, it's been uh, it's been a tough watch for, uh, for Oliver ekman Larson lately, and a big reason why that, that pair is just uh, completely dropped off for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, All right, uh, before we get to Ian McIntyre here, we did want to play a little bit of uh, Luke Shen coming up here. And uh, Luke had a a comment um, about how this team has been struggling the last little bit and how they've had some inconsistent starts. And I thought it was interesting when he was asked about that, he kind of pointed out that it's not just about... Um, you know, the team struggling. It's it's a handful of guys that are also being inconsistent. I thought that was an interesting comment from Luke Shen. Um, a handful of players being inconsistent. It's not um, too dissimilar from things we've kind of heard from Bruce Boudreau, from Patrick Alvin, uh, with the practice habits. I think this team is really having to look inward lately, Sat. They need those leaders. They need those people to step up. And I'm not sure why it hasn't gotten through on a lot of occasions, but uh, Luke Shen with another kind of cryptic quote that kind of makes you wonder what exactly is uh, is he saying here. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of issues with this team right now. So, you know... My question really comes down to how do you get out, out from this? We're going to bring Ian McIntyre into the conversation in a second, but I mentioned Luke Shen and what are some of the things he was talking about. Here is Luke Shen talking about their inconsistencies recently. Yeah, it's obviously not what we envisioned. Obviously, coming off uh, you know the road trip we had in particular, I think we were feeling good coming home and then um, – you know, got that first one under our belts and, you know, there's some times where, you know, we did some good things and then there's some times where, you know, it was just not even close. So, I mean, uh, obviously our starts have gotten us behind the eight ball a little bit. Um, you know, there's some, there's been some definitely, uh, inconsistencies from, from, uh, you know, a, a handful of guys and, you know, we talked about it last night too. I mean, this time of the year, um, Things get way harder, and you can't expect to play an easy game at this time of the year and, uh, you know, wait for chances on the perimeter or wait for power plays or whatever. I mean, this is the time of year where, you know, it's a man's game and you got to grind, and um, I think, you know, if, if we want to stay in it, we, we need to find a lot of that in our game. 
that is Luke Shen uh, post game talking about inconsistencies from a handful of guys in particular. I thought that was an interesting comment. Let's bring welcome back before we ask him about it. Ian McIntyre into the post game show. We know him as the star of the post game show, known as a quadruple threat. Back in action again, regional on TV, Hockey Night in Canada, radio, and digital. Hello, fellas. Ian. Hi, Mac. Nice to be back. Off of IR. Oh, good to have you back. How you feeling? Uh, pretty good. Good. Pretty good. Yeah, I, uh, I've had the, the COVID battle that so many millions of people have had, and I've probably had it easier than a lot. But uh, unfortunately, I wasn't lucky enough to get the asymptomatic COVID. Uh, that, yes. that seems to be the popular one. If right. you could get that, for, spend five days at <laughs> at home in front of the TV, and then uh, then Bob's your uncle. But no, I'm doing I'm doing fine, guys. So nice to be back. And, and listening to Luke Shen, uh, I wouldn't. And after watching him play the last couple of games this weekend, when the team was so bad uh, generally, uh, he's not a guy that I'm moving tomorrow. He's mm. he's part of the solution here, not not the problem. Well, and and I think you know that's one thing this organization is going to have to ask itself. He is a guy that has value, but also brings something this team wants as far as leadership and physicality. And he's on a great ticket this year and next. And if you want, you can push that can down the road and see if you want to move him next year even. So you have options with him, just like they have with a lot of guys. But what did you make about his comment about inconsistencies? And you know, and he took a beat and he said it from a handful of guys. Like it wasn't you know just something he threw in there. You know, like I, I was, yeah. I thought that was that was interesting. Well, I think the other part of it that was also revealing is he said you can't just wait for a power play. Mm. So who who are the guys who would be waiting for a power play? Mm. I don't think Luke Shen's waiting for the power play. No, I don't. I don't. Th- I don't think the model lines waiting for the power play. Yeah, he seemed to be point. He seemed to be pointing obviously at their at their uh, top players, and you know tonight. Horvat and and uh, Miller got goals. Uh, one of them on the power play. I thought J.T. Miller played uh, a lot better, but you know we've we've seen in the past, and it's not it's not any mystery. And and you know maybe Elias Pettersson deserves some some latitude right now because we don't know what he's playing through. Mm-hmm. But you know the top players generally uh, they just weren't good enough on this on this homestand. I mean, the, the team, I think we can all agree, the team's not good enough, generally. Yeah. But for whatever hope they have, their their best players have to lead them night after night. And uh, that hasn't uh, that hasn't been happening on this, that didn't happen on this homestand. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. It could also, I, I do think, and, you know, I've been doing this, uh, a long time, and you guys have been doing it a while now as well. But sometimes we parse too much into a player's post-game quotes right. because you know they're speaking spur of the moment. They don't know what they're going to be asked. It's kind of like a, a at some time in some respects like a, a game show, and you got to answer the question. You can't just can't say, "Well, I don't know," you know, or, or "I'll call a friend." You, you got to say something, and sometimes guys just misspeak. Uh, but Luke Shen has been doing this a long time, and he's very thoughtful and very articulate. And I don't think he he uh, misspoke by saying some of the guys. 
iMac, I, I want to talk about a tweet that you sent out because I feel like it's uh, one of the bigger questions going into the deadline tomorrow. Uh, at iMac Sports, that I'm positive Rutherford and Alvin didn't need this homestand to see the Canucks' problems, but losing five of the last six is a little more than the wound Boudreaux mentioned in his postgame news conference. Uh, it seems like that's been the narrative because uh, they got themselves and worked so hard to get them back into a playoff chase. But I, I, I agree with you in that you know Rutherford and Alvine, every time they've spoken, have, have said the same things. We need to get younger. We need to create a cap cushion. Despite all of the winning, I, I don't see how any of that would have changed, even with the playoff chase maybe being a little bit uh, – more possible than it was when they first got here. Yeah. I, I, first of all, you would hope, and I think this is the case, but you would hope that people who are making decisions that could impact the franchise for for years aren't making them based on a couple of bad games at home. Like that, that would be a little bit absurd in the big picture. That's not how you should run uh, your NHL franchise or run anything of, of significance. To, to take such a narrow view of things, but I think I think what the home stand uh, I think the home stand probably reinforces a lot of things that they've seen. I mean, let's remember that they started from the position that the team uh, isn't good enough in some areas. They've they've never really been too specific about what what they see in, in those terms, but they have started. That was their starting point that the team needs to be better um, and it needs some changes. And then the Canucks just turned into something else. <laughs> like they, yeah. they just had the best three months that uh, we've seen that didn't include bubble months in Edmonton in, in about, what, um, you know, eight years, nine years. Yeah. And, and during that time, uh, Rutherford especially made it clear that uh, a lot of a lot of this is about loyalty. That uh, allowing the guys to have a chance to to play themselves back in, and having done that, to have a chance to actually see it through and, and get themselves in the playoffs if if they can. Well, no one can question the the opportunity, the loyalty that that um, Rutherford bestowed. And and Alvin as well. It's easier to forget that Alvin arrived almost two months after Rutherford did, because mm-hmm. it seems like they've both been here a while. But Alvin's been on the job for uh, not quite two months, like eight weeks, and and Rutherford's been here three and a half months. Um, you know, they've given these players every opportunity. So now I think what this homestand does, it, it clears their conscience, if there's any conflict there at all, it clears their conscience a little bit mm-hmm. in to follow through on on you know their beliefs and make the changes start to make the changes and we saw that today um, quite amazing in fact I, I didn't think that that you could get somebody to take on Hamnick's three million unless you were adding a sweetener and they got a third rounder back instead mm-hmm. but those changes started today I think I think the homestand probably removes any conflict that might have existed about making further changes it possibly makes them a little more open-minded if somebody blows them away tomorrow with a deal for one of their core players but again as we've all said for a while now 
or at least Sat and I have said, I'm not sure about you, Riccio, but <laughs> we, we really don't think the core players are in play. And, and all being re- reiterated again today, that he, speaking about Besser specifically, that he has, they have time for that. Mm-hmm. You know, they can, they can make that decision in the summer. But, you know, if, if somebody, you, you never know who's going to be on the phone when it rings. Well, I guess you do now with call display, but you never know what that person's going to offer you. Right. And the Canucks may get some offers tomorrow. In fact, I'm sure they will, that they haven't yet um, had. And, and it'll give them pause. But I still think we're looking at uh, more moves tomorrow that maybe free up, you know, a million here, a couple of million there, um, maybe another move to get younger, uh, get an asset uh, for a player who, who may not be back in the case of Tyler Mott. Um, but I, I think this is the start of changes that, you know, yeah. The, the, there's a lot more to come than what we've seen today. Well, and you, exactly, and I'm with you. This off season is probably where we see more of that major surgery. And like we said, it's happening. It's coming. It just may more most likely the big stuff happen in the off season. And you're right. I think the guys to kind of really keep an eye on, and we'll see with Luke Shen. Uh, we'll see with Burroughs. But Mott specifically, right? And if they find a way, whether it's Jason Dickinson, whether it's Tanner Pearson, whether it's even Tyler Myers, I think with the Hammonick deal happening and that kind of coming out of nowhere and then being able to offload that money, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility, Ian, that one of those guys I just mentioned could potentially be in play. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I, much as surprised as I was to see... Ottawa so willingly take on Hamannick, so eagerly <laughs> take on Hamannick. Uh, I'd be even more surprised if, say, if, uh, Jason Dickinson, if someone was willing yeah. to take on that contract, or or Tucker Poolman, if somebody was willing to take on that contract because of what's left. I mean, it's not huge huge numbers, but it's significant term, and it's for guys who have struggled. They have not had good seasons, um, you know, and injuries have been part of that. It's been a big factor, as has as has uh, the transition to a new market. And, and I think we consistently underestimate how difficult that is. We did last year with Nate Schmidt. I, we probably do it now with, with uh, Poolman and Dickinson because they, they're well-intentioned. They mean to play well, but they just haven't played well enough. But those are, that's a lot of money to try to get somebody to take on on spec, on the promise that you know, there's a chance they'll be better next year and the year after when they're still under contract and the year after that. Uh, I think it's probably more likely if there's going to be a move like that, that it's someone that maybe the Canucks don't necessarily want to give up. They don't want to give up Tanner Pearson. He's having a a really good year. And although he may not score as much as, as, as people like we we've seen that he does so many things that help the team. Mm -hmm. And he's also one of those guys but like Shen, because of his experience, because of his professionalism, because of how consistently he applies himself, he's one of those guys that could be part of the solution, could be one of the guys that help make other people better in, in time if you have him around in, in, in your leadership group. But he's also a guy that other teams will like. And so if they do get uh, an offer, you know that's, that's a significant amount of money to free up to do some other things. Now, but let's remember Tanner Pearson is a top six player and he was for Travis Green and he is for Bruce Boudreaux. So that's just the reality. So if, if they do give him up now, they're going to have to find somebody else to play in that top six, but it is that kind of deal. 
uh, you know, like a mid a mid range salary, mm-hmm. where if, if you start being able to trade guys two and three million, and you make you know three of those deals, that's that's as significant as, as shedding one of your core salaries, one of your highest yeah. salaries on the team. So, I, I think that I think that could happen. I think a Halak deal could still happen, as grumpy and forlorn as he has looked on the bench the last couple of games. Yeah. I think it's still possible. I'm not calling it likely, but I think it's still possible. And I, I just get the feeling that if the Canucks don't think that they're going to be able to pay Tyler Mott what he can get as and, and probably what he deserves, uh, I guess whatever you get is what you deserve in free agency. But, you know, he's due a pay raise for, for how he's played. But if they're not willing to bear that themselves uh, i i really can't see them just uh letting him go for nothing letting the deadline pass and you get nothing for him and then you lose another player as a ufa he might be the case where you know had had the team had this rip roaring homestand you know for the value that you get for him maybe you sacrifice that in the name of loyalty but again after after two, three, and two, and taking just one win out of the last six at home, I don't think there should be any kind of conflict that way. And if they get a good offer and he's not somebody that they think is going to fit their payroll next year, then I think they absolutely have to take the asset for him. Well, Mott's become such a a fan favorite here, um, but it's kind of... uh... It's, it's yeah. the didn't start that way. I have to remind no, you. No, it didn't. It's almost like a how will you remember Tyler Mott because he's been a he's just been such a good find. He's been such a good person uh, for the community uh, in so many different ways. Um, but it comes back to you know this team needing to be more uh, efficient with the way that they spend their dollars at and uh, for the the role players on their team. Yeah. What was his ice time tonight? I don't have it in front of me. Do you have that? I uh, do not have it in front of me. Okay. Right well, you guys should be more prepared than I. You're at the game. <laughs> he ended up. I'm sitting at. 12. I'm sitting at home writing off TV. I just had to look at the sheet. Just give me a second. Right. Fourteen twelve. Okay. Uh, well, I was. I was gonna. I thought it might have been less than that. There is a ceiling to how much you can play him, right? Uh, right. Uh, so yes, yeah, so you eventually you have to make an econo- economic decision, but on everybody. But he is a player that you'd be willing to pay a little bit of a premium because of what he does and how consistent he is at it, even even though he's a bottom six guy. But, you know, when you're so hard up against the cap and you have a couple of other uh, inefficient contracts at, at large numbers, then you just don't really have much premium space, much much bonus space left to overpay guys a little uh, at the bottom of the lineup, and I think he might be he might be in in that position. I don't want to go off on a tangent here either, but I, I think Tyler Mott kind of illustrates at times why people shouldn't be so obsessed always with draft picks, draft picks, draft picks, uh, especially when you're talking about you know uh, say a fourth or a fifth. I mean, when Tyler Mott was was acquired for Thomas Vanek, people would have happily had a seventh. Yes, Instead. that was a take. That was a take. Yes, but you know, there he was. A, he was an actual prospect, and they saw something in him. And there's a certainty in that because when you're talking about fourth, fifth, sixth picks, um, 
you know, you're giving yourself at bats, and if you have enough volume, you're going to hit on somebody. But for the most part, you don't hit on those guys. And sometimes it's better to have a prospect that maybe we've never heard of, if you if you actually believe in them and think that you can think that you can develop them. A different story for picks at the top of the draft for for sure. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about mid and late late round picks, it's Ever a bad thing to have a, an extra at bat at the draft, but you have a lot more certainty if you can identify a, a prospect that you like at that stage that you feel is still young enough and has the ability to develop. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if they they are prioritizing that type of prospect if they're moving Tyler Mott, and we'll see ultimately uh, if they, if that happens or not. And we are. Almost 12 hours away, 12 and a half hours away from the deadline, Ian. So uh, the next time we chat, we'll be talking about what the Canucks did or did not accomplish at the deadline. You guys are just pulling an all-nighter, aren't you? Like you're <laughs> uh, just going to continue to talk until the morning show, the superstars show up in their limo and go home at 9, then you guys will take over again until deadline? Is that the plan tomorrow? I'm just I'm just going to keep drinking espresso until somebody tells me to <laughs> dinner, Okay. <laughs> I, I am going to go and try to sleep. Stunts your growth, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what happened. Yes. <laughs> right. It didn't work for me, though. Man, I love yeah. I love my espresso. Do you have a home but machine, Riccio? Of course. Yeah. Can't live without it. Fancy I have the machine it. and the macchinetto. So when you know those days, I right. like making it on the stove. It's good. And and a fully manual one. It's not like a little Nespresso thing where you put a little cup in somewhere no, and get a cup of coffee. No, fully manual. Come on, okay. fully manual. Good, good man. Good man. <laughs> my man Riccio does it right. All right. Hey, Ian, uh, thanks so much. Uh, make sure to read Ian's latest on sportsnet.ca. And, Ian, well, hopefully we have interesting things to talk about next time we chat. Well, we'll have things. I can guarantee you, Sat, we'll have things to talk about. Interesting or not, I'm, I'm not sure, but I have a feeling no matter what happens tomorrow, it's going to be of interest to a great many people. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, thanks, Ian. See you, guys. Uh, that is Ian McIntyre. Make sure to read his latest on sportsnet.ca. Always a pleasure having him on. Good to have him back as well. Dan Riccio, my co-host on Canuck Central, will be back again tomorrow at 4 p.m. But trade deadline coverage begins at 6 a.m. with Halford and Bruff just over six and a half hours from now. We'll have wall-to-wall coverage for you throughout the day. I'll pop in on Canucks Hour with Drance and Jamie Dodd as well around noon. And we'll be back, Dan, at 4 o'clock on Canucks Central tomorrow. We'll hear from Patrick Alvine, mm-hmm. Canucks General Manager. So make sure you tune in for that tomorrow. And special thanks to Lena here at the... The Jim Robson Broadcast Gondola, Eddie back at the radio station. We appreciate every single one of you listening and participating in the show. Look forward to our next broadcast, which is Wednesday when the Canucks are in Colorado against the Avalanche. But stay tuned for plenty of Canucks talk on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.